One of my favorite authors, Ryan Holiday, talks about an instance where Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller, both famous authors in the early part of the 20th century, um, were dining at the home of a billionaire. Vonnegut and Heller, known um, throughout the world for their book Catch-22, Slaughterhouse-Five, as well as a, a number of others. They're at this billionaire's house socializing and... Heller leans over to Vonnegut and says, this billionaire whose house we're at, he made more money this week than your book will make in its entire life. And Heller says, you know what? I have something that this billionaire doesn't have. And Vonnegut says, what's that? And Heller says, I have some idea of what is enough. He says, I have enough. The idea of enough is so incredibly powerful. Seneca, who quotes um, Epicurus, says, if you don't regard what you have as enough, you will never be happy, even if you rule the entire world. Well, at the time, 3,000 years ago, there was someone that ruled a part of the world His name was Solomon. We're going to look at something that he said. We're continuing our series today called Preppers. When you hear the word prepper, undoubtedly the word uh, or the image of people in Montana and Idaho in bunkers all holed up with AK-47s comes to mind. But we're using preppers in the sense of people who are prepared. Particularly what we've been talking about is what if we kept... Living in the modern world with phones and technology and cars and, and homes. But we approached life the way our great-great-grandparents did. Think for a moment. Do you know where your great-great-grandparents lived? And what were they doing? And how did they live? Um, how did they get their food? How did they work? What did they do with money? How did they interact with people? Dave Ramsey says, if we live like no one else now, we can live like no one else later. In other words, if we live the way our great-great-grandparents did and the way that they approached life, the way the Bible talks about it, what's going to happen is in the near future, five years from now, ten years from now, if we discipline ourselves, if we make some hard choices right now, five years from now and ten years from now, we're going to see a completely different us. And so the first week we talked about how we're going to attack and pay off our consumer debt. And hopefully you've gotten started on that. Last week we talked about committing to tithe 10% of our income to God through CCV. And today I'm going to be asking everyone to make this commitment especially if you're in middle school and you're with us this morning. If you're in high school or you are retired or anywhere in between, this commitment, I'm asking you to make this commitment from God's word. I commit to discipline myself to boldly save the wealth that God has given me. I commit to boldly save the wealth God has given me. 3,000 years ago, Solomon ruled a large part of the world. God asked him one day, ask me for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. 
Now, I want to ask you this same question. If, you, if God asked you for a blank check and you could ask for anything that you want, lean over to the person now and share with them what you would ask for. Go. If you're at home, share it in the room. What would you ask for? Do you know what I would ask for? More hair. That's it. That's all I want. I remember the days when I had more up here. And if I had that, I'd be just fine. Well, God asked him, hey, you know what? Ask for what you want. Thinking, God is thinking this guy is going to ask probably for what? You know, what's the rule? If, if, if a genie asks you for a wish, you ask for three more wishes. You know, he's going to ask something crazy like that. And here's what Solomon said. Give me wisdom and knowledge. That's it. Give me wisdom and knowledge. God was so impressed with this that God told him, this is your heart's desire. You haven't asked for wealth, possessions, or honor. Wisdom and knowledge will be given you, but I will also give, your, give you wealth. All the way down in verse 15, it says, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. Think about the kind of wisdom and knowledge it takes to be that kind of a wealth creator. And that's what I think the challenge is today, that we, that we take this shift in our mindset from being people who are going to consume and get rid of our wealth to people who are going to create wealth and keep it and build it. Now, Solomon's best advice in the book of Proverbs regarding how to create and build wealth is very simple. Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money dwindles away. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. My youngest daughter starting out in her job. Here we are. We're setting up her account. She already set up the tithing account for her church. And I said, where are you tithing? And she said, well, to the church where she lives. I was like, okay, well, if you're not going to go here, that's fine. So, um, and then she, we're, during Thanksgiving, we're setting up her, her uh, you know, her, her retirement account and then her um, six months reserve. She has no money. She has nothing, nothing. But we're setting that up and, and we're just going to put a little by little. We're going to start little. But we're going to do every single paycheck, little by little, staying after it, makes it grow. One of the books that has had a tremendous influence on my perspective of building wealth is a book called The Millionaire Next Door, written by Dr. Thomas Stanley, uh, Dr. William Danko. They're uh, anthropologists, sociologists that study wealthy people in America. And they were hired by multiple marketing agencies, essentially to find wealthy people and market their products to them. So if you were going to wealth, market to wealthy people, where would you go? Or here's, a, here's another way to think about this. In our area, where is a neighborhood where wealthy people live? Think about that for a moment. Share with the person next to you. Like if you had to go sell high-end products somewhere, what neighborhood would you go to? Well, the authors of the book said 20 years ago, we began by studying how people become wealthy. And that initially we did it by, just as you would imagine, by surveying people in so-called upskilled neighborhoods across the country. But in time, we discovered something odd. 
Many people who live in expensive homes and drive luxury cars do not actually have much wealth. Then we discover something even odder. Many people who have a great deal of wealth do not even live in upscale neighborhoods. Most people have it all wrong about wealth in America. Wealth is not the same as income. If you make a good income each year and spend it all, you're not getting any wealthier. You're just living high. Wealth is what you accumulate, not what you spend. Well, if you can't find multi-millionaires based on where they live, what do they look like? The book describes them. It's interesting. 80% of the people were multimillionaires because they're self-made millionaires. In other words, their mom or dad or grandfather, they didn't get this um, inheritance that instantly made them millionaires. So they created it and they built this wealth. Second, most had good, modest household incomes combined beginning at around $110,000 a year. That the multimillionaires started with incomes right around $110,000 a year. This is husband and wife working together. But um, most lived in modest homes. What is, let me ask you this. What is the average home cost in this area that's newly built? I hear a lot of sixes. Yeah, that, and uh, uh, the average millionaire, said that when they surveyed the home, that's valued at roughly $400,000. About half of the wives didn't work outside the home. This is interesting. Most had common jobs. Welding contractors, auctioneers, rice farmers, owners of mobile home parks, pest controllers, paving contractors. Think about that. Like when you would think of someone that is a millionaire, it's not like a blue-collar job. It's a white-collar job where they're Goldman Sachs or something like that where they're making a lot of money, right? Um, the average millionaire drives a late model Ford truck over Chevy. Chevy, sorry. Obviously, you're not a millionaire, all right? So, But the, all of their cars are like over five years old, right? So... So um, they wear inexpensive suits. They're not buying these Italian suits that, you know, are 5K each. Um, they rarely buy expensive watches, which essentially what they're communicating is they're not buying any things that are flashy shows of wealth, right? Typically the kind of cars and the suits and the watches that you would see among people that are heralded on TV, right? Um, they don't take elaborate vacations, but the most interesting thing is this, that um, multimillionaires do not eat turkey for Thanksgiving because they think it's gross. Yeah. I'm making that up, but it's just, but it has to be in there, right? Because who's, who's for ham, right? Raise your hand. Am I the only one? The Chevy guy? I'm stuck with the Chevy guy? Come on. You know we don't like turkey. There's a... There's a verse in the Bible that's interesting that, that I think is a role model for us. It's a woman. And it's in the Gospels, and it was one of Jesus' favorite people. 
This is someone who gets how to create and build wealth. Her name was Martha. And it says that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they lived up in Galilee and they went down to Jerusalem. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. Now this passage is significant for a number of reasons. First, women in that day didn't own property, so they were bucking the trend. So hopefully those of you who are, who are women and you're, and you're listening to this, you're listening to the message that Jesus is trying to communicate here. That, that you don't need a husband to be on your own, and you, more importantly, you don't need a husband to build wealth. You have the ability to do this on your own. But second, Jesus had a large posse, okay? So this house must have been big. I want you to lean to the person next to you. If Jesus' total crew, we're talking about Jesus, the disciples, their wives, their kids. So we're, presumably we're looking at a group of roughly about 40 people. How big would the home need to have been for this home essentially to put up 40, 45 people overnight? Lean to the person next to you. How big does this home have to be? How many square feet? 4,000 square feet? 5,000? Probably, 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 you know, around that. We're talking a, a, a huge home, right? And so Jesus goes and he spends time at this home, thanks Martha, and presumably in the Christian subculture, there's this idea that wealth is wrong. They get that because they say Jesus was homeless. And because Jesus was homeless, Jesus obviously wasn't a wealthy person. That is historically inaccurate. Jesus had a home. Jesus was a tecton. Tecton in Greek meant a builder. He was a contractor. That contractors would work in villages and they would build homes. This was a good job. This is not a picture of someone Little child, can I have a piece of bread? You know, and like going around and, you know, that's not what Jesus was like. Jesus was, Jesus in the gospel is interacting with so many different wealthy people that it's obvious before he started preaching, he was interacting with, building a business, building homes, and networking with everybody from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. And so when Jesus went to Martha's home, he had on the way reached out to and loved people who were homeless, people that were broken. But when you get to Martha, when you get to Martha's home in the story, you expect Jesus to say, what is this crap? You can't have this stuff. But you know what? He doesn't say that. And that's because Martha viewed her resources as resources that were meant to be used for the spread of the kingdom. There was a couple last week that, that, that sent a story about their commitment to tithing. And they said this, the concept that, make, that made it easy, right? The concept that makes, it, makes tithing uh, important for us is also the thing that makes it easier to do. 
realizing that we're not giving 10% of our money. We are giving back to him just 10% of the 100% that he gave us. And so as we realize more and more all that God has given to us and all that he continues to provide, it becomes easier and easier to loosen our grip on what he has already given to us. And I think God, like Martha, God's going to bless that couple. If, if your hands are open with wealth, then God knows that if you're willing to give it, then he is going to continue to put it in your hands. Dave Ramsey says the bottom line is if you take the stand that managing wealth is evil, then by default you leave all the wealth to the evil people, which is true. Now see, here's the thing. Here's why God wants you to be a Martha. Why God wants you to be like your great-grandparents. And that's because, number one, you're going to have needs that are going to arise. Needs like food, clothing, shelter, and transportation. And you need to provide for those foods, those things, both now and in the future. But then there are going to be wants. And what are the list of wants? The list of wants are college. College is not a need. There are going to be many successful people who are going to be successful in life. They'll be able to speak better than me. They'll be successful in life. But they didn't go to college. There are lots of great jobs and careers you can have without college. Going to college is not going to make you wealthy. In fact, in our culture, I am an advocate of going to college. I'm an advocate of going to a college where you don't graduate with a ridiculous amount of loans. So college is a want. You may want to send your kids there. Retirement is a want. The vast majority of people on the planet do not think that they're going to reach a certain age where they can say, you know what, peace out on work, I'm good. But maybe you do want to do that because there are other things that you want to pursue. You want to become financially independent so you don't have to work that job anymore and you can do other things. That is a want. You might want to get married yourself or provide weddings. You might want to go on vacation You might want to get a car. A car is not a need. A car is a want. You might want to get two cars. You might want to get your pastor a car. That would be great. I hear Teslas are awesome. While you're at it, Teslas are awesome. But then there are going to be genuine kingdom needs that you you want to participate in. So first 10%, I and we all, we, we, we give it to the church. And then it goes locally and then around the world. But then beyond that, there's this expectation that God has is that you're going to reserve another 10% where that's going to be your fun money where you get to make a difference in other different ways. So it could be a capital campaign that we have. It could be a missionary that you want to support. Lisa and I support a couple kids in Africa. Um, We support um, a couple kids. We used to support a couple kids um, in Tennessee and California. Those are just as good as the kids in Africa. Um, Those are our kids, I mean. And then, um, but you know, in that, you know, we, we, um, we always set aside, um, money where we're going to give alms and, and it's just important that, that we do that. And there are missions that we support and schools and all that kind of stuff. So, so that is just something that you get to do. 
I just want to pause and I want to tell you about a lady that I met. Her name was Helen. This is my first internship I did as a pastor when I was in school. I was at a church, uh, did an internship with a guy who became a mentor of mine. Love him dearly. Um, we, he took me uh, uh, late one afternoon to the home of an elderly woman in church. She's in her 80s and a uh, small home. It was home probably about 700 square feet. And we had tea. Have you ever gone to someone's house for tea? Now you Brits or people that are married to Brits, you know you can crush this, right? Like you know the proper way. Like we, it was tea. It was tea and, and the little sandwiches with the edges cut off. And I'm like an idiot sitting here just drinking this tea. So, so anyway, we just had a delightful conversation. Uh, as we got up to leave, she said, would you pray for me? And we were like, oh, of course. And we just stood there in a circle and we just prayed for Helen. And it was great. It was all together just one of these fun things that you get to do as a pastor. And so I leave. I'm going out the door. Uh, uh, Russell gets to the door as we're leaving. And she says, Russell, hold on. I have something for you. I almost forgot. She ran into the kitchen and on her counter was an envelope, handed it to him. She said, there are going to be five more just like that. Thank you for coming by. So we get in the car and Russell handed it to me and said, tell me how many zeros are in that. And I opened it up and this was in 1983. For those of you in your 20s or younger, that was like a century ago, right? So I opened it up and it was a $100,000 check. And she was going to give five more. This is a woman who lived in a 700 square foot home. An old car. She lived plainly. It wasn't like she had this amazing job. It's just she put a little by little and over time it grew. That summer I had an opportunity to watch her reach out and change the lives of single mothers missionaries that were coming through and she would just give it and then sit in the back and just giggle when they opened it. It was just the funniest, most awesome thing. I want to be like that. Uh, and, 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 and there are people here at this church that are like that, that will do that. I see it behind the scenes and they want to remain anonymous. And, and can I just, can I just tell you something? My whole MO as of late is I don't, we are so glued to our screens. We are so beholden to the economic enterprise of our culture. Pull up the tag on your shirt, tell me where that was built, and you prove to me that wasn't built by 14-year-olds in China or Thailand or Cambodia. You tell me that the food that we're getting isn't completely infused with GMOs, that it isn't covered with pesticides. There are, our company, our, our, our country gives money subsidizing to separate industries so that they will market to us to tell us that a five-year-old car is bad or the mic is bad, all right? How many of you have an iPhone 10? Because it sucks so bad. It's the worst. You know, I'm kidding. It's the worst phone ever. It's the worst phone ever because you need an iPhone 13 now. Right? Your car that's five years old, you got to get rid of that. And so my whole quest now is, is the sense. I don't want to, like, be Amish. I want to have a home. I want to have a car. I want to have a, 
you know, I want to have fun in life and that sort of thing. But what I want to do is I want to pick up older skills. I want to do things that my great grandfather would have done. My great grandfather, Marcus Jones, worked until he was hit by a train at 82 years of age, delivering the mail, a horse and buggy. And that's the way I want to go out, people. I just want to get creamed that way. No, he, um, he was a guy that stopped his education at, in a one-room schoolhouse in eighth grade. Uh, he uh, began, they called him Stingy Jones because he would wear the same overalls and just patch them. He would go, and, and whenever Bottomland would come open in, in southeastern Kentucky, Bottomland is the area that was fertile near the creeks, he would go and he would buy it up. If someone ever sold a little home, he would go and he would buy it and then rent it. He farmed 100 acres of corn, owned almost all of the Bottomland in the region where he lived. Every night, he read the King James Bible by lantern light, made his own moonshine. Don't do that, you'll go to hell. Don't do that. And then a person that never went past eighth grade, owning the bottom land, homes, a hundred acres for farming, paid for his four sons, education to go to school completely, and then gave them a paid off car. And set them off in life. This year, I'm going to make our own wooden spoons. I might give you some. You'll probably get splinters when you use them. Why would I make spoons? Just I want to do something that you would do 150 years ago. I've started, when a tree comes out in our yard, I've started to cut it myself and split it myself. So what I'm saying is, I believe we have to revolt against our culture. There are, obviously, we're not going to stop using the internet and phones and computers and our cars and homes. But we can eat food where we know it was grown and it's healthy for us. We can stop living our Entire lives inside, in front of screens, sedentary lives. We can be with people that we care about, and we can do money in such a way that it's life-giving, both to us, to the kingdom, and people that we're around, and more importantly, to our kids and our grandkids in the future. So, last week, we did this challenge. If you were here, just ignore what we're doing. This is for people who weren't here. Um, I would like the ushers to come right now and pass the uh, cards down the aisles. And so the card that you're going to get is a card. If we can put that up on the screen, there will. Um, I just want to say this. For those of you who are brand new, this is, this is a great day for you to be here. This is not for you. This is for people that are committed to CCV. But this is a great day because we don't do a bunch. In the lobby, we're not constantly hitting up people for money. All we do is we teach what the Bible says about giving. And then we just, once a year, we ask people to make a commitment to that. So this is that time. This is what we're doing right now. Now, what's different about what you might have seen other places is that our leadership believes so much in the concept of tithing 
that what we do is we issue a challenge that takes the fear out of it. I got to tell you right now, if I came to church as an adult, as, as a 38-year-old man, if I came here for the... It's a joke, sorry. That's an, old, that's an old stupid joke. But if I came here as a skeptic, money would be one of the barriers for me. We get that. So, so the challenge is this. If you commit to tithe, that's 10% of your income, for 90 days, and at the end of 90 days, you believe God has not kept his word, and you are not better off in your life as a result of it, you will be entitled to make a request and be refunded everything that you gave during that 90 days. This is real. So the two, the two boxes on the card that you have the potential to check are first, you want to take the 90-day tithing challenge. You commit starting next week, you're going to begin to tithe 10%. Or the second box is, I don't need to take the challenge. The fine print is, it has to be completed. This card, for those of you who are watching online, you can pull the app out. And we just had a lot of people do this last week, and a number of people did it on the app. So you can do this, you can follow this along. Um, the, the, your, the commitment and your giving has to be documented. Like you have to give by a check or put it in an envelope or give online. And then um, you can't seek a refund for past donations. Like, I want everything back since 2012. I want it all back, right? Or it's saying that you have to make the request within 30 days of the end of the 90-day tithing challenge so that by the time we're all dead, 112 years from now, someone makes a request, I want, to get, I want all my money back, right? So it's, it's, it's within reason, those are the things. So, so what we're going to do right now, and again, for those of you who are new, just take that card and fold it. This is, this is not for you. You can do it if you'd like, but this is not for you. But for, for everyone else, what we want to do is we want to take out a pen that are all on our, on our chairs, and we want to check one of these boxes, and we're going to fill out the bottom of the card right now. So let's go ahead and let's do that. take it now. What I want you to do, I want you to fold it because this is between you and God. No one needs to know about this. Um, I want to pray. We, uh, so recently talking, we're, we're starting a church right now in Panama City, Panama in Central America. And it's really hard right now because they won't let the church, they're really tight COVID restrictions. So they're stuck at 150, but they have all these people that are waiting to come online. And then also through our ministry, they're feeding a large part of the city of Panama City. You're making that happen. Our church planner that is in northern India. Obviously one of the hardest hit places in the world with COVID. People dying everywhere. On the front lines, the 20-some churches 
that we have helped the four missionaries there, the four full-time missionaries that we support, they have been on the front lines of providing health care as well as the gospel. You've made that happen. We're pushing now. We're getting close to 3,000 people who have said, I'm not going to buy the culture's way of doing life anymore. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to learn from Jesus what it means to do life. You've made that happen. We have kids on a retreat this weekend. We don't have to remind ourselves, man, it sucked being a high schooler when we were in high school. The fact that this gift is available for them, you made this happen. You made the teaching. You, made, you, you, you do all of this. And so even if you don't even believe in God, this is just a heck of a place that does a lot of good that helps a lot of people. And I just want you to be remind you, your money is put into tr- to great use to help people both here and around the world. And I just want to pray that God does what he says. He's going to open up the floodgates of heaven. He's going to bless you. So let's go ahead and let's pray right now. God, I don't know all the situations that are represented, but as we lift these cards to you, we're so thankful for the way that you have provided for us. You've met our needs. You've met our wants. And it, at times you've made us comfortable. At times you've surprised us. But at times we have been in great fear. We've had anxiety. Are you going to come through? Are you going to meet our needs? Regardless of what happens in the future, God, we submit these to you. We make these commitments to you and you alone. And we pray that, God, you would use every penny of this to impact people's lives, to change them, to encourage them. We pray that the little you've given us would change other people and give them hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last thing. On the homepage of our website, at the bottom, there's a thing called stories at ccvlive.com. And if you have a story you'd like to share of God surprising you with something as a result of the, of the step that you're taking, we'd love to hear those stories as a teaching team. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com. Thank you.